you do the pleasure. Hi there. I want to talk to you about ducks. No thanks. Hello and welcome to the Cult Film Companion Podcast, the home of movies that are off, under, and ahead of the cinematic radar. My name is Chris, I am your host, and joining me this week I have a special three-time returning guest who I'm going to formally introduce to you in just a couple seconds, but before I do that, just want to remind everyone that the Cult Film Companion Podcast is now available on all major podcast platforms. Please follow us on Instagram at Twitter, at Cult Film Comp, C-U-L-T-F-I-L-M-C-O-M-P. Please join our Facebook group and uh, send us messages with movie recommendations and feedback. We love getting all that sort of stuff from our audience. And we are also a featured podcast on the Blind Knowledge Collective Network at www.blindknowledge.com, which is a great website to check out for interesting and unique podcasts and videocasts from around the world offering very entertaining and informative topics that you you might not hear anywhere else. So please give all the fine creators at blindknowledge.com a, a, a listen or a viewing, even better. And we are also a featured podcast on Newsly. Newsly is an audio app for iOS and Android that picks up the latest trending, latest trending articles based on topics that you choose to follow and then reads them to you in a natural human voice. Stop scrolling, start listening. Download and use Newsly for free today at www.newsly.me. And please use the promo code C-U-L-T-F-1-L-M. That's Cult Film. Drop the eye, pop in a one, and enjoy a month free of Newsly's premium service courtesy of us. So with all that out of the way, I'd like to welcome back once again my online friend, Kevin the Critic. Welcome back to the Cult Film Companion Podcast. Thank you. Happy to be here. So you've you've been on the show twice before, and coincidentally, both times we covered movies that um, music played a central theme in it. And this one to a lesser ex- to a lesser extent, but there is a great deal of good music in this movie. We are talking about the nineteen eighty. I don't have the ex- eighty-six. Eighty-six. Yeah. Thank you. Cult dark comedy slash drama, something wild, which is one of my favorites. And it's something that I remember seeing the the cover art for the VHS in the video store um, as a young kid, and it was very colorful. And it, it was a great picture of Jeff Daniels hanging upside down and Melanie Griffiths lying on a bed. And it's a kind of a cartoonish type deal that was popular for a couple of years in the 80s. But I couldn't rent it because it was rated R. This is something that down the road that I, I've um, enjoyed and discovered and. 
It comes to us from uh, Academy Award winning director Jonathan Demme. He has a special place in my movie loving history because he has directed one of my all-time top ten desert island movies ever. And that is uh, The Silence of the Lambs, which to me is probably the best serial killer, psychological thriller, horror movie, Well, if not the best, one of the best, probably one of my top five. But it's one of my top ten favorite movies of all time. Ironically or coincidentally, I'm not sure what the right word is, I'm going to be guesting on a podcast later on this week, the Cult Connections podcast. We're covering three movies from producer Roger Corman, and one of those is uh, Caged Heat, which was Jonathan Demme's first movie ever. He got his start doing Roger Corman movies, like a lot of directors did. And so I'm going to be talking Caged Heat, but I'm very excited to be talking something wild today. Kevin, what... So you were telling me that this was not a movie that you were familiar with, correct? No, I am... Before you told me about this, I had never heard of this movie before. And, you know, like you, when you told me about it, I looked at the box and I thought, very, like, wacky, cartoony-looking, fun thing. It reminded... I think they used the exact same box kind of set up for the for the the drop dead fred poster where it's a female lead in that and then the male lead is upside down with a wacky look on his face i think you're i think you might be right um yeah i mean i yeah i distinctly remember seeing that because this is the first thing i came to like wait the drop dead fred poster had this exact same setup poster wise awesome Uh, yeah i Check out, check out the, check out the uh, when 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 we're done talking here. Check out the poster art for a movie called Ruthless People, also from the '80s that has a very similar cartoonish look to the uh, to the cover art. What I like, uh, one of the things that I'm particularly proud of, while since I've been doing this show, is that um, I I help people kind of fill fill in some of the gaps here with their cinematic history. This this is one that kind of gets overlooked because Jonathan Demme would, of course, go on to direct, you know, Silence of the Lambs and then Philadelphia, you know, up until his death was a very prolific director. This one kind of gets a, a little overshadowed and it's I can kind of see why, because I would say that the poster art is somewhat misleading to to the final third of this movie. The, I would say the first two thirds of this are kind of are kind of a screwball wacky comedy, but it t- it takes a pretty dark turn. Well, yeah, that that kind of and that's what kind of surprised me because the way this starts out and where it goes you would never ever guess it no or at least i didn't because, no like, no yeah, like, no because i was like they've got these they've got like these wacky 80s opening credits going on and it's very colorful and there's something wild pops up i'm like okay so this is gonna be just fun and i would say you, you were generous the last third i would say i clocked it around the 50 minute point for me is when the tone shift happens and i'd say the last hour of it it gets progressively darker and less comedic right and it it takes a very 
it takes a very strong director to juggle such tonally different shifts. And I would say that Demi does a very good job, but I can totally see why people aren't on board for this movie. This was this was a movie this was a movie that I had pitched um and I actually showed um my my usual co-host in the studio um has three reactions to a movie that I show him that he's never seen before. Number 1 is that he absolutely loves it. Uh he go he he's like I can't believe I've never seen this before. Um I'm uh, I I'm super excited to talk about this movie and he's completely on board. His second reaction is he'll tap out. Um, he's tapped out on a couple movies. He just said, I can't watch any more of this. And then then there's something, uh, and this has happened quite a few times on the show, and this happened with something wild. He watched the, the, the complete movie, and he said, I have no interest in talking about this movie. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he didn't. Wow, that, uh, that's... <laughs> Those are quite interesting reactions to have. I mean, I can see... There was a long period where I wasn't even sure what my reaction to this was going to be, to be completely honest, because I thought the first half of it, where it's, it's a, like a wacky comedy, I wasn't laughing all that much. I mean, I, I thought the actors were charming and, you know... There are some funny lines here and there. But, it, yeah, it's not... There's not a lot of... Um, there is some physical humor, um, but there's not a lot of... Um, there's a little bit of slapstick, uh, particularly, uh, you know, in their first encounter, they rent a, a, a motel room, and, and she puts handcuffs oh, oh, on yeah. him. No, that, and, and that he's, was probably the funniest thing. That was probably the one of the funniest things that happened in the movie because that happens kind of early and I was like alright I was not prepared for this no um so we kind of get a boy meets girl type deal or man meets woman and they're the way that they're introduced is, is it's a very unique premise um and it's almost it's kind of bizarre in hindsight the way that they meet, considering what we find out about Jeff Daniels' character down the road. Um, we're introduced to Jeff Daniels on his lunch break. He has a nice lunch. He even compliments the waitress on the, on the lunch and everything. She leaves the bill, and he gets up and doesn't pay the bill, and... He's then confronted on the sidewalk by Melanie Griffith, who turns out just happened to be at the same diner with him and just happened to notice that he didn't pay the bill and she doesn't work there. And I say it's kind of weird because we find out that Jeff Daniels has just received a pretty prominent promotion, so it's not like he couldn't afford this meal. And yeah, they, you know, they don't really explain why he doesn't pay the check at any point. It, it's just kind of... Yeah, it's it's a very weird way to introduce us to the character of him just not paying the check and then her popping up and, you know, saying, hey, how come you didn't pay this? 
you know, do you do this often? I mean, yeah, it was a very weird opening. It's, it's, the whole movie, I mean, in hindsight, this movie is very, very weird. And the whole, the whole ditching the bill thing actually becomes a scene later on where she encourages him to ditch the bill. So the, the, the character, it's tough because, like you said, the characters are very, they're charming, but they're not necessarily the best people. It turns out that Jeff Jeff Daniels has been living a lie. His his wife ran away with um a, a doctor, I I I think, and uh, took the kids. And he's still kind of putting on airs as if he's. He even tells her that he's married. And um, you know, it's it's very bizarre. But I I think what holds together this movie. And I can totally see, and I actually asked my co-host about this, and he agreed. He said, you know, I really don't have anything much to say about the movie. I really don't want to talk about it all that much. But he goes, at the same time, I can't really criticize the performances because Melanie Griffith and Jeff Daniels have really, really good chemistry together. And then... um, when Ray Liotta is introduced, and it, it, we got to keep in mind for anyone who's a, a Ray Liotta fan or and hasn't seen this movie or hasn't seen it in a while, this was his very first uh, feature film role. And as at, 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 for a debut performance, I got to say that. It's a great performance. I I didn't know that this was his debut until after I had finished watching it, and I was astounded. I mean, this is that kind of thing. I feel like when he comes into the movie, that's where it gets really good for me because I think he gives it uh, he gives it that shot that it needs, and he's an instantly like when he comes on the screen, you're like, okay, star. I mean, his he's got this kind of glare this look that he gives people that is simultaneously kind of chilling and intimidating but at the same time there's a level of of charm there because he's again he's uh, we find out that he's recently been released from prison i'm not were they married or are they just boyfriend and girlfriend yeah I, yeah, yeah they were I'm pretty sure that him and Melanie Griffith were married at one point, and then he went to prison, and then he and then he recently got out. Yeah, I remember that because he mentions he mentions at one point if you were going to divorce me, they would have sent me papers, and you never did that. So yep. why are you married to Jeff Daniels? Or at least like when he first meets up with them again, that's what she says. Right. And again, I think the title is. I think the box art is somewhat misleading. It's not a goofy kind of over the not. There is a lot of color, particularly in the first uh, act of the in the the first half. There's a lot of color, and then it gets visually darker as it progresses. But after that, like yeah, the, the way that they and I watched the trailer right before I came on here, and they severely mismarketed this movie. Like, they make it look really wacky and fun and lighter than it is. Mm. And I was like, 
Yeah, if this is the trailer that I saw in 1986 and I went to go see this movie based on that, I would be thrown through a loop. I would be thrown for a loop with what I got. Well, I'm so glad that you brought that up because one of the things that I have said consistently on this show is that one of the signs, I think, of a good cult movie or just a cult movie in general is that if I was in the marketing department of um, a production company or for a movie studio, this is not the kind of trailer that I would want to have to come up with because, like you said, if you lean too hard into the comedy, people are going to be too thrown when this movie gets dark. And if you lead too much into the darkness, people aren't going to know what's happening in the first, like, 45 minutes of this movie. It's kind of like... Yeah, it, it turns into... it's It starts out as, like, a romantic road trip, almost. Melanie Griffith... Yeah, like yeah, like in the beginning, like she he she gets him in his car, and I'm thinking to myself, okay, is this entire movie just gonna be the two of them bouncing off each other in the car, and then it and then they, we meet people, and I'm like, okay, it's not that, but yeah, I, it was, I could never tell where this was going at any <laughs> given point. It it seemed almost, it it bordered on episodic to me in the first half before Ray Liotta shows up, mm. where it's like doing this and we're meeting this person right. and we're going there and we're doing this. I'm like, okay. I was like, what is the plot? Is right. there a plot? Or is this a bunch of random happenings with these two characters? It's, uh, yeah, it is very episodic. It's almost like, you know, the first episode is they meet, um, they end up sleeping together and she's just going to be on a, on her way, and there's something about her. He's really drawn to her, and so, like, he kind of joins her, and then he finds out that, you know, she's going to ask, you know, they meet up with different people. Um, they they continuously down lo uh, lots of uh, alcohol. They meet various people on the road. They lose one car. They have to go buy another car. Uh, I don't know if you happen to notice the cameo appearance, the used car dealer that they purchased their second car from is um, one of my favorite cult directors of all time, Mr. John Waters, in a cameo appearance. He plays the uh, the the car salesman that's easily bribed. Um, oh, yeah, that, that, was, that was one of the jokes I saw was funny. But she's just, yeah, again, there are little things in this first half that I found pretty funny, and that was, that was one of them, where just, she just keeps bribing him. And he acts like he's not going to be bought over. And he's like, okay, what about this? And he's like, oh, okay. Yeah. And then, I mean, it, it, and then there's, you know, he pretends to be married to her. And she goes home to introduce her to his, to her mom. And, you know, the whole, you know, they have this interaction together, the three of them. And then there's this very kind of, which I think kind of lends to, starts the dark descent is that this very interesting conversation where he's washing dishes in the kitchen she's i think she's uh get, she's getting ready for her high school reunion and the mom comes up to him and starts asking him she, like do you have a real wife someplace else do you have kids and i'm like yeah she that, that was that was weird when she yeah. did that I mean, why would you suggest that? Because she she knows her daughter all too well. She knows her daughter. Uh, we're not going to be using character name because Melly Griffith 
has two different character names. So for the sake of simplicity, <laughs> we'll just refer to uh, because we've got we've got three leads here, and these three leads: Jeff Daniels, Melanie Griffith, and Ray Liotta carry this movie. And like I said, I think in lesser hands with a different cast but the same script. Uh, I think this movie probably would have been a train wreck. I think this movie. Yeah, I do too. Like that. That's what I kept thinking. That's what I kept thinking throughout all of this was that if you didn't have these people and this director, I would probably hate what they do here a lot. Right. Because it's not. It's not natural what they do here, and it's like okay. And, and again, I was wondering like. You've got Jeff Daniels and Melanie Griffiths and Ray Liotta here in a screwball comedy. Oh, okay. Now I see why they signed on to it. Yeah. I mean, the thing is, and I like the title Something Wild because I think that, I mean, just to play on, not even a play on words, but just the fact that the movie's called Something Wild, you're kind of guaranteed something wild is going to happen, I would say, every 20 minutes in this movie. Something will happen, you'll just be like, okay, I didn't see that coming, that's an interesting turn. Um, And that wild thing, I mean, and again... Uh, again, just the fact that you and I seem to always be talking about movies that prompt music. music. They play wild thing. So they play wild thing about five times across the runtime of this. Yeah. So if you if you don't like the song Wild Thing, uh, this Ooh, this movie is gonna not going to be for you. But no, they, they, the thing that I was laughing and this they they obviously never could have known this. There are like three songs on this soundtrack that are from Shrek and Shrek Two, and I couldn't stop thinking about that when they played them. Really? Yeah, like they play. I mean, they play at the high school reunion. The band is playing an '80s version of "I'm a Believer." Right. Okay. And then I don't remember what the other two were, but I just recognized them from Shrek, and I was like, "Oh, that's a that's a funny coincidence." Right, and I gotta say that th- that that high school band was actually is it actually a real um it was actually a real band that Jonathan Demi uh, was a fan of that, that um yeah. from the underground scene, and um some of the some of the soundtrack was also composed by John Cale, and uh, John Cale was a member of the Velvet Underground, and actually John Cale uh per- helped provide the music, the soundtrack for Jonathan Demme's first movie, Cage Teeth. So he's always, he always kind of has his finger on the, on, on the pulse of kind of like underground up and coming people or just very talented people that he knows that he can rely on. Um, and that being said, um, Mr. I I hope I'm pronouncing his name wrong, uh, correctly, Mr. Tak Fujimoto, T A C K Fujimoto has shot, I think, almost well, I think almost all of his movies. Right, yeah, like, and that got me excited because he also uh, Tak Fujimoto is also the guy who shot Silence of the Lambs, right, and the Manchurian Candidate with Denzel Washington, both of which are really really well shot movies, and I thought that. 
Like the I think the strongest part of this directorially is in the second half when it goes dark. Like that's when I that's when I recognize like okay, this feels more like Jonathan Demi's stuff, and Tak Fujimoto is really good at like getting people's faces, getting people's faces, and showing you all the emotions that they have. And yeah, I I think they're a good they're a really good combination for each other. Yes, and uh, that comes through that comes through throughout this movie. Right. Um, you know, it's it's interesting you say that because it it, it feels very much like a Jonathan Demi mo- movie at, at times, but at the at, at other times you're kind of like, wow, this it doesn't is, at all. It doesn't at all. And um, again, a little preview of the movie that I'm going to be talking about later this week, uh, Caged Heat is um, Roger Corman is known, of course, for very cheap B movies. And he basically, Jonathan Demi kind of wanted, he had been working as a producer and a production assistant and wanted to direct a movie. And Roger Corman, um, at the time, women in prison movies were the big thing. That was the big thing at the the Um, drive-ins. Mostly men were going to see these women in prison movies because they were hot and erotic. And um, Caged Heat is very much a women in prison movie but at the same time, it's also very much a Jonathan Demi movie. It's much more of a crime thriller. It's also much more about something like the Manchurian Candidate. We find out that in this particular prison, that they're, um, if you step out of line, they're going to send you to this doctor, and uh, he has he u- will use such things as electroshock therapy all the way up to a full frontal lobotomy to help control you and... Uh, take advantage of you and so it's a very it's a very dark women in prison movie but it's also very it's very much a Jonathan Demi movie and something wild is very is almost like well imagine if you had a screwball 80s comedy but it was directed by Jonathan Demi and I think no 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 please I and again that's the thing I for so much of this not so much like there was a certain point where I was wondering, like, is this, is he a director for hire on this thing? Because there, there's a large chunk of it that doesn't feel like him at all. And I was thinking, like, okay, he's, is this a case of this guy is more comfortable doing dramas, and so all this, this wacky comedy stuff isn't natural to him? And then, again, it, it surprised me. I'm like, okay, no, this, yeah, like, we, this is something that he could do because it becomes something like he normally does. And so, yeah, I was just wondering, like, I almost wish that the first half of this was more dramatic Mm. because I feel like he's more, I feel like he as a director is more comfortable in that dramatic element than he is in the comedic one. Right. Um, I I would even say that in in some of the softer moments in between, like, these these comedic uh, hijinks that these two have there's some softer quieter moments between the two of them um like there's a scene where um they're both waking up the next day and they're both hung over and um she's ready to uh i think she says uh, she's ready to drink the hair of the dog to get rid of her hangover and instead he's like sits down next to her takes the bottle away and passes her some pepto-bismol 
And she's like, this yeah. is disgusting. I don't want to drink this. And she, he goes, you're going to drink this it. This is what you drink when you have a hangover. Yeah. So, like, I think you're right. But I, I do have to say, in my research, so this movie kind of came about, um, you know, in the late, in the 70s, he was working for Roger Corman. He did a, a couple of Roger Corman movies. And then in the 80s, he started to break into mainstream Hollywood. But he wasn't getting a, a lot of success. I think the first two movies he did in, in, for like uh, that were more mainstream uh, didn't do too well. And he was trying... This, so this is kind of an interesting bridge between um, low-budget independent Jonathan Demme and kind of mainstream Hollywood Jonathan Demme. But he, he found this script and he liked this script. He, he went out of his way to kind of pursue this script and I think that he was kind I think he saw it as a challenge to himself can I can I kind of step out of my comfort zone can I do a screwy you know 80s style comedy that also has some very dramatic and some very dark turns in it I mean so you know, I think it, it's interesting, and I always like when a director challenges themselves. And I think I do too. It, it's uh, I think that the I think the biggest thing about that that's what made it interesting. Like even though you know, like that's what made it interesting to watch was like I cause the only Jonathan Demi movies I've seen were like uh, Silence of the Lambs, Manchurian Candidate, and Philadelphia, all of which are very serious, very dramatic movies. And so when this when this opens up like a comedy, I was like, okay, wow, this is, I've never seen this side of him before. Let's mm. see if he can actually see how he does with this. And you know, some of it hits, some of it doesn't. And but you know, I was like, okay, it's it's interesting to watch him play on this field that I I've, I've never seen him do before. And I think he was really lucky in landing Jeff Daniels and Melanie Griffiths, who both who are both very talented, just kind of naturally funny people. Yeah, and it, it's it's interesting to me. I think you kind of hit the nail on the head because I think the the dramatic well, it, dramatic and bloody conclusion, the the, the climax. When it got there, I was on I was like on the edge of my bed, like, oh my god, I can't believe we went here. It's 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 almost telling to me how much more comfortable Demi feels in this kind of in this aspect of the movie. I think you're right. Yeah. I think there's these there's elements in the first half of this movie where he's not comfortable with the kind of light comedy um that the script had in it and um he seemed much more comfortable when the movie took this dark turn. And I'm, I, I'm going to go out on a limb and say that it was the second half of this script that really sold him on wanting to direct this story. I think oh, that... Yeah. I, I just, like, the kind of films that he makes, I can't see him reading the first half of this script and being like, I'm the perfect guy for this. Oh yeah, like I read the first half of this, and I'm thinking somebody like oh, what's his name? Like, the, like the first half of this movie feels like feels like Richard Lester ish almost. Like, if you got Richard Lester to direct the first half of this movie, then it might be funnier. 
But then if you got, and he's the guy who did like Superman 2 and 3, which are more like goofy and comedic in their humor. Right. But if you, but if you got like, if you, but yeah, like I think the second half of it, I'm imagining him like flipping through like, okay, 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 ooh, and then he gets to the, then he gets to like page 50 and it's like, okay, so now this is where I come in and I show my stuff. Yeah. I can make this work. So it's it's interesting. A little behind the scenes tidbit is that uh, so Ray Liotta had gone out to um, to California and um, to try to to try to become an actor, make it as an actor, uh, was unsuccessful and returned back to the East Coast. I want to say either New York or New Jersey. Um, but at, during his time in California, he had met um, Melanie Griffith and. He had heard about this project, and he actively pursued it to the point where he said he w- he went out of his comfort zone and did something that um, was probably a little kind of, n- not taboo, but kind of frowned upon in the industry, is that he kind of banked on his personal friendship with Melanie Griffith to kind <laughs> of to, to get an audition for this. He kind of... I And I, I got to say... Kudos to him because if he didn't have those uh, the cojones to actually say, "Listen, oh, I'm gonna put us, I'm going to uh, p- potentially threaten my friendship here with Melanie Griffith, who was a big, huge name in the '80s." Um, yeah, yeah. Um, and say, "Listen, I think I I've heard about this this story. I'm not sure if he had a copy of the script or not, um, but he said I I think that I can do this." And, you know, she got him the audition. Um, All she did was get him the audition. She didn't say anything. She didn't say she didn't pull any strings or be like, like, Mr. Mr. Demi, I really think we should hire Ray Liotta. She's just she simply got him the audition. And by I I can totally see just based on his performance in this movie, if he brought half of that character to that audition, I, I could totally I see why he got cast. Well, yeah, another thing, like the kind of the kind of character that he's playing, he's playing like the he's playing the abusive, controlling ex of Melanie Griffith's character, and I've seen I've seen that character type in a lot of movies where the actor either plays it like too over the top, or the writing's not there, and so the actors like that, like this, he was immediately believable. And threatening, and also very charming. So I could buy like how he would get away with being so awful to people. Well, that's the thing. They say that you know a true and and, and you got to say a character like him. I'm not. I, I don't want to diagnose his character, but you know, a, a, a true sociopath um, is usually very very successful um, because they are very very charming. They're very very manipulative people. And they have no qualms on stepping on you to reach their goal, and I think that well, really yeah, comes across. He, just, he came. It comes through his performance again. Like I was watching it, and I had no idea it was his debut. And I'm like, this is this is one of the best debuts for an actor I think you could ever get, because it's like he comes in again midway into the movie. And he so he has to make an impression with us, and he does immediately, and it becomes ever more threatening as it goes on. And then the ending, it's like he's he is terrifying. 
Yes, and it's also interesting. It's it, it, and I've only noticed this upon rewatch. He there are hints to him previ- before he actually enters the movie. Before we actually meet him, there are and there's not like there's not big scenes devoted to talking about him, but there are hints and um uh allusions um with an a, not i, uh allusions to to, to this character, the former husband of him. Um, so I think that was very smart on the screenwriter's kind of role. So he, he's not coming in completely blind. We're not completely blindsided by him because there were there was some talk about uh, an ex that was either in prison or recently released. And then when he comes onto the screen... We kind of immediately know. Okay, this is this is who they were talking about. Yeah, and he is again. Like he, he basically steals the movie at that point. Like he, like I was honestly wondering why he wasn't first billed after he came on because I I feel like the movie basically focuses on him for the entire like rest of the second act that's left, and then. Jeff Daniels and Melanie Griffith are kind of just supporting there with him, and then it refocuses back on them for the for the climax of it. Right. But it, it really is like a it really is like a it's a film stealing performance that I'm amazed that he was able to give on his first time out. But I think that's also a very it's a smart it's a smart filmmaking and smart screenwriting decision that. You know, for the first half of this movie, I would say ninety to ninety-five percent of the time, we're we are just with Melanie Griffith and Jeff Daniels. Yes, they they go places and they interact with other people, but the majority of the screen time is just the two of them. And I think that they reach the perfect part of the movie where it's almost like. I get it. These two are really, really into each other. Uh, enough. Like we can, we can. Yeah, it's almost like, like yeah. I mean, like yeah. Like when is something gonna? I was at the point where it's like something needs to happen. Right. Right now, because I've got it. Like these, you know, like I've got it. These two are into each other, and you know, it's kind of funny, kind of sweet, kind of light, but not much is happening. When where's the wrench that has to be thrown in here? to drum up interest. Right. And if there's not one, then why is it two hours long? And then and then something wild happens. And that something wild is <laughs> Ray Liotta. And this movie this movie becomes something really, really different. And it becomes it becomes something entirely different than what it was. And I now they as much as as good as Ray Liotta is, I think the second best performance in this is Melanie Griffiths. She's well, I've only seen, she's she's really really strong in both parts of this. She is. Like she's she's very good, and she like I said, we're we're only using her actress name because she got she she plays one person, but she uses two different names. Uh, she's got her real name that she uses with her mom, but she also has the the fake name that she's given Jeff Daniels at the beginning, and um. You know, my my co-host was saying, "Why well, she's she's kidnapping this poor man and taking him out on these things?" And yeah. I, I was like, That's, "That was my thought." Like, I don't. But you know what? Yeah, she kidnaps him. 
she gives him plenty plenty of time to um like if she goes if you want to leave you can leave uh you're you're, you're really really staticky Sorry, let me just... All right, how about now? Sorry, I don't know what's going on with these things. Much, much better. What? No. Nope. A little staticky again. Yeah. Um, it's all right. We'll make it work. Um, but I wanted to ask you... I'm sorry? Oh, I wanted to ask you... Um, what are some movies that that you that you either have seen and enjoyed or seen and not enjoyed that kind of juggle such tonally different aspects um any any examples that come to mind uh yeah i would god i don't know what's up with static i would say recently probably like krampus does that where it starts out as like a a dysfunctional family holiday movie and then it slowly transforms into a, a dark horror movie as it goes on okay. uh, the cable guy tries to do this and it tries to do what this movie does and i don't think it works as well but it's still entertaining yeah yeah um so yeah, I'm... It, it's definitely like this is a unique beast. Like I, I can't think of too many films that begin as like light screwball comedies and then go, and then take a dark turn into. Now there's an abusive character in the plot, and he's gonna be here for the entire rest of the movie. It, yeah, it's almost like we we had no antagonist for like the first half of this movie. Then all of a sudden we've got a we real did. we got a real badass antagonist. Yeah, and but yeah, but yeah. The, the things that I've seen Melanie Griffith in previously, uh, you know, on screen I've seen her in Pacific Heights and Working Girl, and the other the other thing I've seen her in her, her voice talent was a uh, short little two. She plays the bird that he befriends. I'm pretty sure. Oh, okay, uh, I would recommend. But yeah, I, I've, I was going to say, I recommend the movie Body Double. It's a great, great Brian De Palma 80s thriller that has a great performance from her. Um, and, uh, yeah, I think, if I'm not mistaken, I did not plan this, but as of this recording, unfortunately this isn't going to be released for a couple weeks probably, but I think we're recording this either on her birthday or right around it um so happy belated birthday (laughs) happy happy belated birthday i mean and and she's she's great in this movie she's very very funny she's also very very sexy in this movie um incredibly no this is the this is probably the this is probably the sexiest I've ever seen her be. Well, wait until you that, see wait until you see Body Double. That the, the, that's oh god, that, yeah. I, I, that will have to go up my list then. But again, I think I think this the scenes that impressed me most with her were the dramatic ones because I I, I thought she was at her the height of her power in the scenes where she has to be like freaked out or yelling or just scared. 
it's a really good juxtaposition between the character that we've seen for the first half and and then in the second half she's terrified of this guy and knows what he can do and I thought she commu- she communicates that with like a bunch of like little glances and body movements and then at the end she's she's screaming like she's in a slasher movie yeah almost um I think she yeah I I think you're absolutely right it's the dramatic scenes it's some of the comedic scenes she's she's very very good and that shows off her talents because I think when she needs to be sexy I think that it's so natural for her that it's not really much of a, a performance. Like the the sex scenes with Jeff Daniels, um, it, yeah. it, it it seems like th- this is this is just like a, a Wednesday night with Melanie Griffith. Like if you're if you're oh, yeah. if you're Jeff lucky Daniels, enough, if you're lucky enough, I was thinking like so good. I was gonna say if you're lucky enough to spend the night with her, this is kind of what it's like. But then she like she really pulls off some really good comedic chops and some really really fine dramatic acting, and she's able to deliver. Oh. A, a really, really solid performance. Oh yeah, and again, that surprised me because I was totally thinking, okay, she's gonna be the wild, wacky card. Okay, I, I've seen this. You know, she's she's good, but let's you know, I all right, I I got the character, and then they reveal this other side to her, and I was like, wow, that I would I never would have guessed that. That is really, really strong work her and it still feel it makes her feel like a much more well-rounded character than you might expect just looking at the marketing and the the poster art and all of it and i also think i think jeff daniels is strongest i mean there's a nobody's bad but if there's a weakest person in here i think it's him mm. because he's he's kind of like i don't know I think he's strongest in the dramatic scenes too, and his best comedic scene is the sex scene where between <laughs> him and her, where like she's on the phone and he's she calls his bank and he's yes. like that was the best. That was the funniest thing to me in his reactions, like that entire scene. That was his comedic high point. Yeah, and she's got a great line. She says, "You you're you're a really good liar when you need to be or when you want to be." <laughs> Um, yeah, and that, and then they they wrapped that back around later to make it more meaningful, which was nice too. Like it wasn't just a really funny line there. But yeah, I, I think Jeff Daniels, from the films I've seen of his, I think he's a really talented dramatic actor. And so, he, like that's what I primarily see him as as a dramatic actor. And so I think, and the longer it goes on, and when they pull back on the kind of kind of goofy straight man you know business guy aspect of the character i feel like his import his performance improves the longer it goes on yes um you get to see you get to see this kind of uptight guy that's clearly having some sort of midlife crisis um and this 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 beautiful seductive woman kind of just comes into his life and 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 for a 
period of time hijacks his life, but at the same time, he's allowing her to hijack his life. She's never holding a gun to his head. She's never saying, like, you need to come along with me. She basically says, you can come along for the ride, but I need you, like, these are the, you know, when we go to meet our, my mom, like, this is what I would like you to say, and, and stuff like that, and, um... You know, their relationship is very, very sweet. He There's a there's a scene where he freaks out because he thought he lost his wallet. And he's freaking out because it's got his IDs and it's got all this stuff for work. And all, it's and he's just freaking out. And she goes, I have your wallet. I picked I picked it up when, you know, you, you dropped it. I picked it up. And, like, that, that little scene together just, like, cements their relationship. That, you know, these two people <sighs> were, were not – they just – through happenstance met up one day and like they kind of have this whirlwind romance and um she kind of she tries to send him away when Ray Liotta comes in because she knows that you know what Leota is capable of you know if if things get out of hand Ray Liotta would you know straight up kill Daniels you know and the fact that she's like so concerned about him and she just wants the best for him you know it's it's there is a very there is a very touching love story that's wrapped up in this absurdist humor um repeat listenings of wild thing and then Ray, Ray Liotta being like a sadistic ex-boyfriend who um, has no, who will do anything to get his girl back, you know. Um, yeah, and it is kind of, it is kind of a love story part is probably the most subtle part of the movie mm-hmm. because when, because like when it got to the end and they do the whole like love story thing, I was surprised at how, I was surprised at how heartfelt it was to where I was like, I don't know, I. In the beginning of it, I was kind of disappointed that he wasn't, he wasn't more, like, he wasn't pushing back more against her because she is, like, kidnapping him, basically. And then <laughs> I was like, okay, I'll, I'll go with it. Again, I couldn't figure out, like, are they trying to make this, like, is the movie trying to be about this wild event kind of making this stiff guy a bit more stretchy? Or, like, this... Yes. Getting him to open up. And I was like, okay, we're going to do this again. And then the, it's not really about that. It's more about her and Ray Liotta. And, but even still, I think that, uh, I think that as far as like the, the connection that the two of them have, the movie sells you on that. Like not, it sells you on that. And plus it also plays a little bit into I'm sure it was a fantasy of guys in the '80s of what if you were kidnapped by Melanie Griffiths. <laughs> you you you, you kind of stole the words right out of my mouth. I was like, <laughs> like, um, and I don't want to say anything uh, uh, other than that the the sexuality of of me and my co-host are are, are polar opposites. So to me, the thought of, of of 1986 Melanie Griffith kidnapping me. <laughs> take, take me away, Mel. Like I'm, you know, well, I'm on board. <laughs> you know, because <laughs> well, no, I was like, like the way they're playing this. Again, it's, I wasn't around in 1986, but I was like, the way they're playing this, it almost feels like they want all the guys in the audience to be like, well, 
not really that bad that he's kidnapping him from his job and, you know, doing all this wacky stuff. I was, yeah, I was like, if it was, again, I was uh, four, so, yeah, I'm not talking about, like, you know, me at the time, but I'm just saying, you know, if I was my, you know, you know, a young, if I was Jeff, if I was in Jeff Daniels' position, Let's just say that, yes, I would have taken a ride with her. And then when she starts driving to New Jersey and passing me liquor, um, I would resist at first. But I think that she's so that's the thing, though. It's not just her looks. It's no, it's your person. It's your personality. Yes. And I think. And yeah, I think Melanie Griffith brings a good. She brings a good amount of personality to every character I've seen her play. Like regardless of what the script is, I think she just has something where you just, she's just very magnetic. She, like even she's just got something where like you just warm up to her immediately. She's got what they say it that that indefinable, mm-hmm. intangible it that some people just have. And like I said, like she's she's very she's like lighten up, just like have a drink and just relax. Like why have, why are you so fun. yeah? So like it's kind of like and her her free style nature, this very free spirit nature is very infectious. It's very infectious that you kind of want to go along with the ride to the point where you know you're wrapping up a nice meal at a diner um, and she says she's going to pay the bill and then you go to leave and it turns out she didn't pay the bill and she's parked right outside oh, and she, yeah, she's, she, she's driving away I mean that again that was another one that was funny where it's like she, he just hops in the car backside out and she zooms off right there I mean again yeah she was yeah she was perfect for this part it made me want to it made me want to see her see more of her movies because i've seen her in like four things at this point Mm -hmm. and this was probably the this was probably the probably the strongest performance i've seen her give so far in a career of which i'm sure is full of really good work uh if you want to see her really uh but i can't preface it enough but body double i'm I'm a huge de palma fan and uh she she plays i'm just gonna say it because it's not a spoiler or anything she plays uh an adult uh movie star in body double and that's all i will say and if you think that (laughs) uh, also like the intrigue and mystery of body double is right on point so it's a great great thriller um yeah, but something wild. I, I I have to agree with you. I think that Jeff Daniels is probably is probably the weakest of the three leads, and that's I would say that's not really the fault of him. More so as I think it's the fault, not the fault, but it's just what he has to work with in the screenplay, particularly in the. And the last third of this movie, where he's kind of excluded from the plot, he's on the outside, kind of spying on them, you know, trying to figure out what's what exactly is going on with these two, you know. Yeah, like he became, yeah, it, it was weird to me looking at the billing of it. Was like he's first billed, but this is really not his story at all. No, like he's he's in it, but it the meat of this thing is really between Melanie Griffiths 
and Ray Liotta. And again, he's just, you know, there are several seats, like, he's just a passenger in the backseat of the car, really. At, at a certain point, it's like, oh, yeah, he was supposed to be the lead of this. Yeah, he's, uh, yeah, he kind of gets regula- uh, uh, regulated or uh, kind of, he kind of gets put onto the back burner for a, 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 a minute there. And we focus on Ray Liotta's character, which I think is smart because you don't get, the, the way that this movie is paced and the way that the characters interact with each other, you never spend so much time with someone that you get burnt out on their character. Like I said, I think just when I was getting, an, I, I kind of had my fill of uh, their relationship. I was like, okay, that's, uh, we get it. That's enough. These two are really, you know, it's really sweet what's happening to them. It's kind of bizarre, but it is sweet. And then Ray Liotta comes and shakes things up. I'm like, this, like that's exactly what this movie needed. Like, you don't, you don't get burnt out on a character that you're just like spent too much time with them you're like enough of this person somebody else please yeah and that's that's the thing about yeah because I, I was really yeah because i really was in the beginning like okay is it really just gonna be these two and their relationship and all this i mean okay i guess i guess you know he took this as a as a director for hire job the sweet little romance thing and then Ray Liotta comes in, and I'm like, okay, good. We're, we're, we're they, they switched focus entirely. They, they threw this up. Yeah. And they, they needed to. Because mm-hmm. if, they, if it had been another hour of just them slowly going through escapades and getting to meet each other, it'd be like, okay, we need to throw. Because I was thinking, like, okay, where's the part where we have the the misunderstanding where the couple splits up? Like, that's where my headspace was. Right, right. At that point, like, okay, what's going to split them up? And it's a it's the it, perfect uh, it's the perfect little MacGuffin to split them up. This Mister Ray Liotta is like the perfect, like you said. Yes, yeah, so many movies rely on that um, that third act breakup. Whether it be superheroes, like a superhero team breaking up, or a romantic couple breaking up, or friendship coming to pieces, and then they 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 come back together, the way that this movie does the breakup thing is very unique. Because, like you said, they don't even really, they don't even have they kind of don't even do it. Like there there is no conventional breakup between the two of them. I don't think. True. I, I yeah no. I think. You know, I, I think that, that you could make that point because they're, are, are they really, like, how committed are they in this relationship? Like, they just met, what, 48 hours ago? No. <laughs> two days ago. I mean, it's movie magic, you know, and, and fall in love with someone in two days. Right, right, right. Um, but, uh, yeah, so I, I, I think that the way that the movie's paced, um, it works for me, but I can see why it wouldn't work for certain people people because i think that if you saw the trailer the trailer's misleading the cover art is misleading um if you watched like if you just watched the opening scene and then the closing credits of this movie and the closing credits are brilliant because it's just oh, yeah, no that was gr- that was great the, the it's this woman singing wild thing yep. again and i was like that's that is so totally whiplashed, but it fits this movie. It does. You know, in any other movie, it probably wouldn't work, but you're just like, uh, yeah, 
I, I, I get I went along for this ride for the past you know ninety plus minutes. So why not wrap it up with Wild Thing? Um, and it's kind of sweet because um, it, it's nice that they get back together. But you they tease you with a minute that you don't you think that they're never going to see each other again. He like he actually because what happens is um, there's the, a very bloody climax that ends up with um, Ray Liotta dying and she's taken away by the police and he's free to go and then like he tries to track her down and he can't find her and just um, it just so happens that you know they meet up at that diner again and um, we get kind of a nice uh, we get a nice connection and it's um, as much as I don't like a cheesy, happy Hollywood ending, I, I'm kind of glad that these two ended up together because I really think that they they really had some really good chemistry together, and I think that they 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 would work well together as a couple. So I I, I am well, yeah, and that's the thing that, and honestly, like I I like the I like the like romantic cheesy happy endings, but I was. I honestly was unsure if the, if it was even going to give us that. Right. Because when she gets taken away by the cops, I'm like, wow, if, you know, if this movie, she has them not get together, I wouldn't be, su- I mean, I wouldn't be surprised by that given everything else that's thrown at me. And then they do, and I'm like, okay, that that's nice. Like, I'm happy yeah. that they got together. And they're, it's their own weird, messed up relationship. They understand each other, you know, it was a wild road to get here, but I'm happy that they did. Yeah, and and I think that this movie is is, is kind of unique in the way that either way that it turned out, whether or not they were, t- if they end up together, it works for the movie, and if they didn't, it also works for this movie because, like you said, you know, she was implicated in, in all this criminal activity. You know, she in, in, in a murder. It's like. All that matters to the police, like, oh, you murdered somebody. Like, she could go off to jail for this. Yeah, so, I mean, it's, uh, again, a credit to Jonathan Demme and, you know, and the the rest of the filmmakers behind the scenes that I, I think that this could have easily been a, a, a train wreck, that it could have gone off the tracks any number of times. But there's something about it that this this movie is able to to hang on and like it, it stays on the tracks and like it's a rewarding w- ride once you, you it's concluded. So um, you know that's not something that I could say about a lot of movies that have these similar kind of things that that go into it. So um, any any. Uh, anything else that we're missing about something wild? Any um, random thoughts or observations that you had while viewing? I really liked all of the random shirts that characters would wear. <laughs> yes, like, these, these shirts, like these these phrases, like these these phrases that would be on the shirts. I'm like, okay, that those were fun to design. Like that's a fun little phrase just to put on a t-shirt on this random local here. Right. And I wish I'd written some of them down, but it was like. That, that's really that's that's really that made me smile it's like okay you know, these just little gags like that where it's like people wearing the most ridiculous clothes I know, that was a little detail that I latched on to I kept I kept looking for that like where's the little visual jokes they're not going to call too much attention to no and th- there's some great little scenes that you know don't 
don't really have anything to do with the plot, but I'm glad that they were included. And I'm thinking of one of the scenes early on in the liquor store where she's buying all this liquor. And then she asks for this very expensive bottle, like that's on the top, <laughs> tippy top shelf. And I'm like, where is this going? And sure enough, she just fucking rob, straight up robs the place. And I'm like, so like, <laughs> it's weird because like these characters, you know, they're not the, the most likable people, but they do all have some redeemable qualities. But, you know, um, it's it's just a very interesting mix of a movie because it could have tipped it could have tipped way over into goofiness and it could have tipped way over into being too dark and it's a very very fine line to uh to walk but i think that this movie for the most part not it's not without flaws but for the most part works yeah i don't i don't think that it i don't think that it quite pulls off like the balance of like Goof, 80s goofiness and then like dark violent stuff but I mean I think that indiv- I think that I think that individually the parts work you know the lead up in I almost was feeling like maybe he made the first half goofy so that we could slowly walk into the darker stuff instead of just hitting us with that immediately I've seen movies do that where like, mm-hmm. it starts out light and then darkens as it goes on. Um, and yeah, I, at, by the end of it, I thought that was the right approach because this is ultimately a love story between these two people. And so if you have it be dark, dark, dark the whole time and then you try to go for that sweet, cheesy ending, it would just feel. It just wouldn't feel genuine to the movie. You know, it's. it's, it's... It's interesting because a lot of movies juggle tones and some sometimes tonally things are all over the place. Um, it, and it's almost it's almost a genre jump from... It is. It's a, it's a genre jump. From, that's why, like, in my tweet I said it goes from a hit-and-miss comedy to an intense drama because it's, it's not... Yeah, I thought the second half was a totally different genre than the first half was... And I think it's not something that I'm usually a fan of when movies totally jump genres because more often than not, it's done very sloppily. And But I have to say that this movie kind of does the genre jump pretty well, but I have to say that the best genre jumping movie that I have seen in recent history is a movie called Bone Tomahawk. Have you seen Bone Tomahawk? I've heard the name. I haven't seen it. Now, I'm going to preface this by saying that I am not a huge Western fan, um, but I do enjoy a good Western every now and again, and I'm also a pretty big horror fan. Now, Bone Tomahawk is about it's about two and a half hours long and I would say the first hour and a half you probably spend like the length of another movie just with these characters on this journey and it's very much a a traditional western movie about um, trying to uh, these people are kidnapped from this local town and they're 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 out trying to find you know find out who kidnapped them and it turns into one of the 
goriest with like really good practical effects, but like un- <sighs> uneasy horror climaxes of people getting absolutely just mangled. And we're talking <sighs> Old West, so we're talking very primitive weapons that, you know, it takes a while to in- inflict some damage. But I mean, I want to see this. This is like, oh, it's, I it's, I, it's, I like. I like like I like genre switches. Mm-hmm. Sometimes like, again, I like Krampus because it does that. I like oh man, what is it? I like From Dusk Till Dawn, where it goes from a crime movie to this B campy yes vampire that was thing like that was my second movie for as far as a completely genre swapped kind of thing. But Bone Tomahawk is great. Uh, Kurt Russell is the lead. He is phenomenal in it um great supporting cast uh can't recommend that movie enough but let's wrap up something wild i like these kind of movies that keep me on my toes if it's something i'm, I'm gonna say every once in a while i get i, I get drawn into a, a very predictable movie where i'm like okay i can see where this is going but i still enjoy myself but more often than not i'm drawn to something like something wild where we start out in one place and we go on this journey and for better or for worse, I I don't know what's coming around the next corner. I don't know what the next character interaction is going to be like. And I like that element of surprise. Uh, I, I like that because when I watch a movie, nine times out of 10, I don't want to to be spoon-fed or given the same thing that I've seen before. I want something different. I want something unique. And that's, for its faults, and there are some, I think for the most part, Something Wild is very unique and is, you know, is worth a watch. And who who would you recommend this movie to? That's, that's how I'd like to wrap this conversation up. Yeah, that's what I would... I would honestly, like... I would recommend it to fans of the cast, especially the fans of the cast and director, I think, should really be tuned in onto this, especially Mm. uh, since Ray Liotta passed away recently. I I think this movie and his great performance in it is certainly due for, like, a reconsidering, because, I mean, you look at him and you're like, okay, this guy's going to go places, and then Melanie Griffiths is able to, like, carry both sides of this character much equally well and then just you know, just the gumption it has to be able to say okay we're gonna go from goofy 80s-ness to dark drama by the end of it it's like okay I can't think of too many movies actually I can't think of any movies that have successfully done that and didn't leave me feeling like why didn't you just choose one or the other? Like, I cannot <laughs> yeah. imagine. Th- I can't imagine. I can't imagine this movie without it taking the turns that it does. Right. And I also liked. That I could never. I. I also liked that I could never tell where it was going. Mm-hmm. Um. I. I. I think too often that I will watch a movie and like within 
you know, 20 to 30 minutes, I'm like, I know, I know how this is going to wrap up. I know the different kind of, I might not know exactly the kind of twist, but I, I have a general idea something's going to happen and then this is going to happen and so and so are going to have a falling out and then they're going to find out and then they're going to find out the truth and or there's going to be some sort of redemption the person that we thought was evil turns out to be a good guy the whole time and there's nothing like, yeah redemption was, nothing like, about like no uh, yeah. oh, please sorry like like an example of a movie where like Lightyear just came out, and I I enjoyed Lightyear, but I could feel like like when they when the villain is revealed in that, it was kind of like like earlier in the movie I had said to myself, oh I oh haha wouldn't it be funny if it was this, and then it turned out to be that, and I was like wait you actually. I mean, it worked. I was like, wait, you actually went with that? Like, that thing that I jokingly suggested to myself <laughs> about 20 minutes into the movie? Yeah. Like, what if the, like, one of the ultimate villain is actually this? Yeah. And I was like, oh, my God. They actually... And like, and, it, and the other thing, like, the villain, I'm like, oh, you ripped off... I guess the other movie is like, you ripped off the same twist as a really terrible 90s movie. Why are we ripping that off? Yeah, of all the th of all the things to rip off, why? Um, well, 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 yeah, like it's, 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 I'll say what it is like the Lost in Space movie. If you know the twist in that movie, that's what they do here. They do it better, but still, I was laughing like you actually did the same thing as Lost in Space '97. Right, and that's some sort of time travel thing. The sun, yeah, the it's, sun. It's like, yeah, it's like yeah, like the the sun. They do some time travel thing where the sun aged and went nuts, like trying to get the family off the planet. And it's like, I was like, that is so stupid. They <laughs> did that with this. Uh, I haven't seen Light Year, but um. Uh, sorry, I, I, that, sorry about spoiling that. But oh, I have no intentions of ever watching it, so don't worry, don't worry okay. about. It. But sorry, um, but yeah, they, see, they do that. They do the last in Space '97 twist with this. Where I was like, what a bizarre thing to grab from. Like this is your big. I mean, it makes sense thematically for the movie. I wish it could have been done better. So, let's let's wrap this up on a high note. Uh, first of all, please tell everyone where they can uh, find you on social media. All right, uh, you can find me on social media on Facebook, uh, Twitter at Kevin underscore the critic, Instagram Kevin the critic, all one word. You know, I'm talk about movies all day, every day. You know, and I'm I just I just enjoy discuss I just enjoy good discussion, and and I also. And I have a I have a blog, KevinTheCreate.com, where you can see my full written reviews of new releases. Sweet. And in in honor of something wild, uh, what something, what, at least one or two movies that you've seen other than Lightyear recently, not necessarily that came out recently, but maybe you've come across recently, something that really kind of surprised you, that um, you might want to give a shout out here. Um, 
in honor of something wild, something that kind, of, something kind that maybe you uh, you slept on or were, you were aged out of. Like both you and I, we were not in the age demographic for this movie when it came out. You weren't alive, and I was four. So you know, <laughs> yeah, like I, like yes, my 1986 non-born self would have loved this movie. <laughs> so yeah, but um, so something something that you've come across recently that you would like to shout out, either a TV show yeah, or yeah. a movie. Absolutely, um, Netflix has a movie on it called The Sea Beast. It's a really, it's it's another movie that it you kind of know where it's going, but the I feel like the way that it gets there is really really good. It's from the same guy who directed Moana, so it's got a similar kind of scale and style to it in the animation that that did. Yeah, I thought it, I, I turned it on without any expectations. I was really surprised by that. The Sea Beast. Okay, and that's uh, on Netflix. Um, that, that's a yeah, it's an animated family movie on Netflix. Sweet, really good. Um, what about um, some up and coming movies? What are you looking forward to? Um, that that's on the horizon, and then I have one final c- question for you after after this. See, uh, well, I just saw the probably the bodies, bodies, bodies comes out this weekend. I'm interested to see that. I'm interested to see that. Yeah, me too. Me too. I I yeah, it, it looks it looks it looks fun. I really like that A24 this year has started investing in films that are both like artistically fulfilling to their creators but also like more crowd pleasing you know i i gotta say that i'm not a big fan of tribalistic behavior when it comes to stuff like marvel versus dc or that kind of stuff but i have to say but but i have to say (laughs) but on the same on the same point if this makes me a hypocrite or not um is up is up to up to the listener when I see A24, uh, nine times out of ten, and, and, and that's a very good statistic, nine times out of ten, it's a movie that, like, I'm like, wow, I'm really glad that this got made. I'm surprised it got made, but boy, am I happy that, you know, A24 is giving this opportunity to people. Um, so, yeah, and I, I am, too. Like, it's, like I'm not... I, I've warmed up to them. Like I like what they do as a studio. I like that they're a studio. I like that they're a studio that is allowing these filmmakers to work on modest budgets and do the things that they want to do. I mean, I think sometimes like the films they put out look a little too artsy for my taste, or mm-hmm. just like I'm not like some of them just not like I haven't seen the Green Knight. I don't have it. I don't have any intention of seeing the Green Knight. It didn't really. Okay. It didn't like grab me. I got to like can I stop can I stop you there for a second? Mm-hmm. Um I was I could you basically recited word for word my first impressions of the Green Knight when I saw the trailer and I heard about it and I got to tell you that it's not really my bag, medieval stuff, fantasy stuff, not really my thing. Uh I was blown away by the Green Knight. And okay, then maybe maybe it's, if you like it, then maybe I'll see. Maybe I'll see because this thing like every all I saw everybody talking about was like how hot Dev Patel was, and I was like, yeah, Dev Patel is hot, but okay, what's 
okay, he's hot, and the movie is artistic, and there's a CGI fox in there somewhere. I mean, I don't know. People were talking about this in that kind of way of this is a flawless gem of cinema that we must all kneel before. Right, and I when when I hear high praise like that, um, my expectations get raised, and then when I hear. But if you're not really familiar with King Arthur and all this kind of stuff, you might not get it. I was like, well, is this really for me? And then I just happened to come across it in Redbox, and uh, I rented it from Redbox. And then I went back and I bought the actual disc because it is actually something. <laughs> it is actually something that I would rewatch because it. You do not need this grand understanding. They do enough narratively to to paint this picture, and the story is very, very good. Um, I have no um, judgment on Dev Patel's. <laughs> it looks. Uh, no, that's the thing. Like that, that's everybody was talking about, and and I actually I grew up like I read like the Kids Illustrated Classics versions of like King Arthur, and right. I'm. Somewhat into into some fantasy things, so I I'll probably end up checking this out actually just to see like all right do I like this because I do like Dev Patel everywhere I've seen okay. him. Okay, so and then uh, then I, I'm gonna I'm gonna recommend the Green Knight and like I said I was with you I was like this is not my sort of thing, but I was a guest on a on an A twenty four podcast and. <laughs> So, and uh, one of the things that I was doing as a guest <laughs> was they were doing the show. Actually, if the, it, the A24 podcast, if you, it's available everywhere. On their very first episode, yours truly is the guest on their trivia game where they play clips or just sh- strictly audio clips from movies. And I got four out of the five, which I think, uh. which was kind of funny because... Um, I was proud of myself, and and the the host was kind of surprised that I I I did so well. And then off mics, I'll share this little story with you. He goes, he goes, Chris, you were a great guest, and you were phenomenal on the trivia show, but man, you really raised the bar. We were not we were not really <laughs> expecting, nor nor were we kind of hoping that our first guest on our trivia show would get four out of five because these were not easy sound clips to to recognize. Um, but I just so happened, that was the reason why I watched The Green Knight was I was, I was prepping for this show, for this contest. <laughs> and it just so happened, one, one of the audio clips they played was for The Green Knight. Uh, the other did, ones... Did they play an audio clip from, from Midsummer or that, was it that... That the Tony Collette thing, Her- Hereditary, um, uh, yeah, that like I like um, I like those two. Uh, I I don't know I know that um, the one that I missed, which I'm still kicking myself, was I missed the one that I missed. I got four out of five. The one that I missed was from Swiss Army Man, which is a great movie, <laughs> and I, I I'm still kicking myself. But the one the one that he thought for sure that I wasn't going to get was from the film Under the Silver Lake, which is brilliant. And if, oh. <laughs> um, 
Yeah, somebody recommended that to me. Like, isn't Andrew Garfield in that? Yeah, and he's phenomenal in it as far as an actor. Um, we've gone way off topic. <laughs> so, for those of you that are still listening, I do want to ask Kevin something that's come to light recently. I want to ask because I was looking forward to this movie and I'm kind of ticked off at uh at Warner Brothers in DC. What are your thoughts? What are your thoughts on this whole Batwoman thing? And then we'll 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 call it a night. Oh name. man, the bat the Batgirl thing. Yeah, I I think it's ridiculous to spend ninety million dollars on a movie and then throw it out. It's like okay, that's money that you've invested into something. And and they said they said they said like last week it's getting it got really bad test screenings and then I saw a headline where it was like well, Shazam 2 and Aquaman 2 have gotten similar scores to this. I'm like, well, they're still getting released, so what's up with that? And now, I mean, that's not, like, they said, like, $90 million. Like, that's enough for theatrical release. You've got, you've got Leslie Grace, who's a star from In the Heights. Right. You've got the return of Brendan Fraser to screens, who people would turn out for him. You had Michael Keaton's Batman coming back, which you could really market on that. Hell yeah. I mean, and the other thing is, from what I understand, uh, the Flash movie that's coming out next year <laughs> was supposed to, which is a whole other thing. Oh in my itself. God! We could have a whole the discussion. Flash, okay, but the Flash movie that's coming out next year, as of this recording, anyway, is um, that was supposed to lead into Batgirl. Okay. Somehow, like it was supposed to be a, affect the plot of that, and so I'm looking at Warner Brothers like, wait. You showed people a movie that, you know, supposedly to understand, you have to see another movie that hasn't been released yet. That That's like showing someone Endgame without showing them any of the other movies. They, they would be confused and hate it. Well, I think this is DC's desperately trying to play catch-up with the MCU, and... I get it, but at the same time, this is this is this is how I things have when the when the Flash news of the Flash started coming out. Uh, the Flash is not a character that I particularly liked, um, but the whole inclusion of Michael Keaton as Batman and then Ben Affleck as Batman, I was like, okay, I'm on board with this. And then the whole Batgirl or Batwoman thing, I was like, eh, I'm I'm not so interested in this. I, and again, I, I like to separate the art from the artist, but strictly on the behavior of Ezra Miller as of yeah, late. I saw what he did today. I was like, we're really still going. I mean, I, I separate the art from the artist, too, and I will do that when the flash comes out. But I'm looking at this like, what? we're really still going forward with this? I was like, of all of the two movies that were uh, that were potentially to be on the chopping block, I was like... I was like, DC, every day that goes by or every week, Ezra Miller is continuously <laughs> shooting you in the foot with bad publicity after bad publicity. Well, yeah, like this, it's just like, I get like, they spent $200 million on this movie. They've been trying to get it made since 2011. And so I understand, I understand why they want to get it out. But the thing is, this movie was supposed to be a jumping-off point for Batgirl, for Supergirl, 
for all this other stuff, right. which has now been canceled. And so now you've got a movie that A, has a star that the world despises yes. for his personal behavior, and B, is going a movie that's going to set up a bunch of stuff that is no longer going to happen. Right. This is the second time they have, this is the second time in two years they have done this. The right. four hour Justice League did the same thing where they put a twenty minute post credit scene of post credit scenes that were setting up movies that will not happen. They have gotta stop doing that. And um so I'm <laughs> I'm a DC boy at heart just because Batman has forever been my favorite comic book character ever. And I think that DC needs to stop competing with the MCU and just do its own thing. Because when they allow when they allow a director to do their own thing, and we get something like the Joker, and now the Joker Two Folie a a, a a musical set in Arkham Asylum with the Joker <laughs> and Harley Quinn. Sign me up, please. That is the kind yeah, of... Like, like, yeah, you and my sister, who hasn't seen the first Joker, I told her, like, Lady Gaga's playing Harley Quinn. It's a musical. She's like, I might see that. Yeah. I mean, that's the kind of thing. Like, let let these people do their own thing. Um, but again, we've gone... I, I, we've I gone, com- we've gone completely off topic. Uh, thank you everyone for for, if you're still listening um we we were talking about something wild uh kevin from your rating system what would you rate something wild man probably maybe like above average just on the fact that it the performances are good and that it mostly pulls off its tonal balancing act without completely collapsing in on itself I'm, I'm, it's something. It's I'm, something that I would want to show people just to watch their reactions to as it shifts. You know, that's the thing about something wild. I I own it. It's on Criterion, the Criterion edition. Criterion never disappoints by putting out absolutely beautiful transfers of movies and beautiful artwork that's enclosed in their physical media. But again, some, something wild, I I own it, but it's not a movie that I'm going to throw on just for myself. It is very much a movie that I have in my collection to show people. Because, like I said, with my co-host, he watched the entire movie and he had some good things to say about it. You know, Most, most notably, the performances. He's like, I... I don't really have anything to say about this movie other than the, the fact that the performances hold this movie together. So I'm kind of at a B minus for something wild. Um, and it's again, it's more so of a movie that you that I have to, to show other people uh, more so than a movie that I would revisit by myself. Um, plus, by the time that this movie's over, I never want to hear wild thing for like <laughs> you know when it got to the lady singing the wild thing in the credits I got halfway this song I'm like no I don't want to hear this song again tonight please yeah. how much did you pay the wild thing band to put this song in this movie this many times yeah they use other songs that have wild in the title in them yeah but they they use wild things I love that song but I was like 
And if you play this darn song one more. Yeah, it's like, I, I, like, yeah, it's played, and then they actually, there's a sing-along in the car. And the sing-along I kind of dug, but by the time, and, yeah. I, and I like, I, I think the woman, she's a very talented uh, singer, and I think this, it was very impromptu that Jonathan Demi just was like heard her overheard her singing was just like like why do, yeah um but and I'd like to hear I wish that they had picked a different song for her because by the time that the end credits rolled around I I was done with that song I was like I get it <laughs> I I don't need to hear the song again please some anything else well, um, yeah, and, and and also the other thing, I had just watched Bedazzled the other week, which also has another version of that song in it, and so it was fresh in my head, like, oh my god, Wild Thing. Did you watch the original or the Brendan Fraser? The, the, the Brendan Fraser one, that's the one that has it in it. Oh, okay. Check out the original well, Bedazzled I've, when you get a chance. I've seen, I've seen both. I've seen both. Oh, they're, okay. They're, they're both good. They're both good in different aspects. Yeah. But yeah, uh, something wild. I definitely recommend. I definitely recommend it. It's a, it's a, it's a crazy watch. If you like the actors, especially Ray Liotta, you'll be into this. Even and yeah, I'm happy that I saw it. Well, and that's that's. I think that the high, one of the highest compliments that you can give a movie, since that there's so many movies out there, is that I can safely recommend this movie. And I will say that no, it is not a perfect movie. Will you like the movie? Afterwards, I don't know. Your mileage is going to vary drastically on how well you like these characters and how um, willing you are to go along with them. But I can I can say safely that this is not a movie that you're going to watch and be like, well, that was two hours of my life wasted. Either way, it's it, it's it's worth a watch. Um, but uh, yeah, there there are other movies, and again, all of these people have done. I would say, not necessarily better, but movies that I prefer. Like Jonathan Demme, to me, the, his best movie is The Silence of the Lambs. Uh, Agreed. Ray Liotta, to me, his best performance is Goodfellas. Um, yeah, Goodfellas is his best. Mel- Melanie Grit. This, although this might be one of my, this might be one of. Between this and Body Double, these might be my two favorite Melanie Griffith performances. And for Jeff Daniels, I'm sorry, um, I'm a Rhode Island native, so I appreciate the Farrelly brothers maybe more than I should. But d- Dumb and Dumber, and I'm, so he's, he's, I'm he's great in that. Like he, that's him doing comedy at his heights. Yes. Uh, and he's and he shows that he's got although there's 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 glimpses of those comedic chops here in something wild but we never get the over the top um dumb and dumber kind of humor and and so no. it's 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 a refreshing it's a refreshing movie that I will say that it's 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 a fun change of pace if you're looking for something wild if I could end this episode on a very bad pun, if you're looking for something different and something wild, this is, this is one to check out. Kevin, thank you so much again for joining me. Any final thoughts on something wild? Uh, it certainly earns its title. And with that, this is Chris from the Cold Film Companion Podcast. Thank you all for tuning in once again.